Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hey, DC family, welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. In a couple of minutes, I'll be having Osmond Begg and Kevin Broom of Bolts Forever join me to talk about the Bradley Beal injury situation, trade deadline, all that good stuff. And in the second half of the show, we'll actually have a medical expert on to talk about Bradley Beal's injury status. So uh, stay tuned for that if you're curious, like how big of a deal this is, how worried should we be, should it impact whether or not we're willing to give him $250 million, all that good stuff. But first, just a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday with the last game of the football season. As always, BetOnline has you covered. From odds, scores, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use our promo code believe B L E A V to get you started the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games bet online where the game starts. All right, let's get to our convo about Bradley Beal. All right. I got Oz and Kevin here. We uh, did a Twitter spaces last night from, for bullets forever. And I think it went pretty well, but we didn't actually get to like chat about this news in a formal setting. So for anyone who hasn't heard yet, Bradley Beal will undergo season ending surgery. Well, actually the press release says regular season ending surgery. So I don't know if there's any wiggle room there for our play and run, but got a torn scaffolinate ligament on his left wrist. I'm sure I just murdered that pronunciation, but I'm going to get a little medical expertise here on the back half of the show to explain to me what that actually means. So uh, stay tuned for that. But Beal basically said, you know, he tried a bunch of treatment for 10 days, uh, tried rehab, didn't make any difference, and he can't compete to his standards or to the level that the team and fans deserve. He's disappointed, yada, yada, yada. No more Beal. Guys, I just want to get your initial reactions here. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you. Yeah, so thanks. And, you know, it's. I think this is not necessarily the worst thing for the Wizards because they, they have a chance now. They're going to lose, and they're going to lose a lot. They were going to lose even if Beal played. So mm-hmm. uh, th- this team needs talent. They're a bunch of mid-level and worse guys, really. And um, I mean, they've got a few guys who are slightly better than average, maybe, but they're just kind of, you know, they're guys and there's nobody here that's a building block for the future. There's nobody that you want to build a team around. I mean, and when I say nobody, I mean, nobody on the roster, 
the, you've got some role players and that's it. And um, if they could somehow luck into a, you know, a top pick in this draft, you know, maybe they can get a guy like that. Now that guy, whoever that is, is likely not going to be on the timeline for a 28, 29, 30 year old player. But you know, this is the decision that the team has made. They've, they've decided years ago that they were going to beg Wall and Beal to stay. And that's what they've been doing. They've been very consistent in their willingness to beg. You know, uh, people were referring to it as the, the hostage situation. You know, the, the Wizards made themselves hostage. Mm-hmm. They, they have done everything they could to give away the, whatever power, whatever leverage they might have. And they, they continue, I describe it as they, they, they continue to act like, you know, Beal and Wall before him were doing the team a favor just to, to play. For them, and I don't think that's really the way to act. Um, so anyway, um, I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing. Assuming, of course, that Beal is able to to heal. My guess is that in the offseason he'll sign the five year max, and he'll stay, and he'll probably end up retiring Wizard at some point in the future, which is fine. You know, maybe they'll get a couple, two, three playoffs over the next three, four years, and um, you know that that's about the way it's going to be. Maybe, like I said, maybe they luck into that next building block so that as Beal is aging out, the next guy is coming up. That would be the best case scenario, I think, for what they are likely to do, not for what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got to go work under the assumption, like what work under the assumption of what they are likely to do. So working under that assumption, we are all considering that they want to keep Beal because there's no indication that they don't want to keep Beal. Given that, this really probably, like, look, no one wants to have surgery, but it's probably best case for, you know, less miles on him. Like he doesn't, you know, no, no reason to take 30 extra games of wear and tear on those legs. He never really looked right this season, at least to start the season. So maybe kind of like, you know, maybe a little less toll on him is a good thing. Also, they, like Kevin said, they need to, they need to get better. They need talent infusion. And the best way to do that, the easiest way to do that is with their lottery pick this year, assuming they don't, they don't make the, they don't make the playoffs. So right now they're about, I think what, 10th in lottery standings, but with losing Beal and with other potential moves that could be done in the next 24 hours, 24 to 48, well, 36 hours or whatever we are, where we are relative to the deadline. You have teams like the Pelicans who got CJ McCollum. You have uh, the Kings just picked up Sabonis. Um, the Knicks are always still trying to win. Thibodeau is not going to wave the white flag. You have a few teams that realistically can pass them and they could end up in that six to eight range going into the lottery and with the new lottery odds maybe it finally works out for us. I mean, it's possible we pick ninth or even worse. We get back to 10 or 11, but if you're in that six range going into the lottery, six, seven range, that's probably the best they could do, but it also does give them a chance at a high level, high level talent. Like as Matt, you and I've talked about, like if they get a Jaden Ivy, that'll be fantastic. You know, it'll just be that what they don't have right now. They have a couple good, like a couple who I think could be good young players, but they're not there yet but those aren't their high end pieces yet. Those aren't like the guys that are your foundation blocks. They're more rotational guys. Mm-hmm. So they need to find that one real piece to put. And the timeline is not going to match up with Beal, but if it's a good enough young player, maybe he catches up in the year. And that's, I mean, look, we're just, again, we've all talked about, well, this is not the path we do, but given what they're doing, this is probably the best way to get there. They need talent infusion and the lottery is the best way to get there. Not that it's necessarily catapulted them to the top of the East, but if you look at somebody like uh, Charlotte who moved up a lot in the lottery to get LaMelo Ball, and he was basically 
maybe not instantly an impact player, but within his first season, he was like a meaningful NBA starter. I think you have to hope that you kind of luck into one of those guys that, right. you know, you end up four five, six and somebody, you know, in the top three passes on one of those really good guys and, and messes something up, you know, like a Scotty Barnes going to the top four, you know, somebody taking Suggs after him, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but uh, to, to Kevin's point about the hostage situation, I've, I've been kind of referring to it as the uh, crazy, almost ex-boyfriend situation, you know, like the please don't leave me. So I'm going to handcuff myself to like your radiator. Like it's just, <laughs> we're doing it to ourselves here. Like, please don't go when realistically, where is that person going to go? Uh, it it yeah. drives me a little crazy. And if you kind of look at it like high level since 2017, 2018, when they lost to Toronto in the first round in six games, I believe they were the AC that year. Assuming this season goes the way we think it's going to go from here on out, this is going to be their fourth sub 500 season in a row. So really they've been trying so desperately to avoid tanking, but they've been sub 500 four years in a row. So what are they, what are they doing? Yeah. We didn't do it right once. And they've turned over the roster. I mean, it's like they talk about roster every 30 games. (laughs) They they care about the roster. Right. I mean, and and they they do this over and over again, but they just, they keep, keep making moves that just sort of keep them at that same level of just sort of mid. I mean, the, the, I've said it before, but their depth this year was just basically a bunch of mediocre power forwards. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they've got, you, you see it now it's like Beals out and it's like, what do they have in the backcourt? They've got like, you know, Dinwiddie and Neto and holiday and okay. Yeah. And Kisper, I guess is your other guy, but it's like they, they, they don't have talented players. And that's like, that's really the bottom line. And they haven't. So I was at the Miami game and I must say it was, I'm sorry to hear horrible. that. It was a horrible experience, but like, it was like, you're talking about the point guard play. Like, and, and this is something we talked about on spaces yesterday, even, so here's one thing, even if this is like, they do sell, I want them to bring in a point guard because I do not want to watch 30 games of basketball without professional point guard play on the floor. I think, it doesn't help you find out what you have, which may not be much, but it, you, you might as well use these 30 games. Um, and then watching against Miami, like Dinwiddie couldn't get past anyone. And then when Neto and Holiday came in, Neto was just like overwhelmed completely. And Holiday just isn't seeing the floor. He's out there trying to just get baskets and not doing it well. So like all three are just terrible point guards. I'm sorry. They're just, they're just, they should not be playing point guard in the NBA. <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 shooting good. Well, um, Dinwiddie's more of a combo. I mean, he's he's a, a solid passer, and you know, but he he doesn't he isn't really able to create anything because he can't get by anybody. He, he's not. I described him as like you know playing like he's wearing a parachute on his back, and it's what he looks like. He's definitely slow. He's definitely slower than he was, uh, you know, at his best, and he's still. You know, he's okay overall. You know, he, he has these awful, like, two-for-seven nights shooting. But, you know, he doesn't turn it over. And the other nights, he, he, he will make some shots. He gets some rebounds. His, you know, the team is actually a little bit better defensively when he's out there, sort of. Which I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't understand that. I think it must be just we're so bad that he doesn't make us worse. Like, because it yeah, I think awful. that's it. But he's... He's one of those guys. I think he's just sort of an inconsequential defender. Yeah, he's it's there. like mm-hmm. he's he's there. He's he's not the worst guy they have, and right. 
yeah. you know, he's he's not necessarily like the cause of their defensive dysfunction. We've seen like a couple of versions of point guards here over the past few years. Um, the wall version was collapse the defense, kick out the shooters, which, you know, that's that's one formula. The other one was Sadaransky played successfully. He didn't hold the ball. He got he, he got it up the floor and he got the offense rolling early in the shot clock. He didn't. That doesn't mean that he was initiating it. But I mean, he just got he made he got up, made his first pass, started cutting, started moving and it worked for the offense. Um, Dinwiddie is trying to hold the ball, but he's not doing anything for the first 20 seconds of the shot clock. So then either he's like, he has to do a bailout step back three, or he's setting up a teammate for a terrible end of shot clock shot. So it's just, it's just not, it's, it's just a rough watch. (laughs) He's the guy in the battalion responsible for holding all the grenades, whether he Mm -hmm. throws them himself or he tosses them to another guy first. It's just, it's not a, I don't know, aesthetically pleasing style of basketball to me, although it, the not turning it over is slightly preferable to me than what we watched with Russell Westbrook last year. So I, I guess I'm sort of a hard one to, to please. Uh, Oz, I think you mentioned Beal and, you know, the the lot of minutes the last couple of years. Like he really did almost lead the NBA in minutes for like two out of three seasons. The guy plays a crazy high usage. He hasn't had any injury problems the last couple of years, but this is a dude that had foot and leg problems at the beginning of his career. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing to give the guy, you know, six months of, of not putting a pounding on his legs. And he had COVID at least once that we know of, if not twice, which seems more likely to be the case. And you hear about Jason Tatum and guys like that and the lingering sort of mm-hmm. effects. And, and Beal was not good this year, as we've already right. mentioned. 23 points. The six assist was nice. The four rebounds is fine. But it just didn't look right at for like 95% of his time, you know, his time on the floor this year. So maybe just a, like a clean, clean break for him and starting fresh next year is is actually like better for his career moving forward and his value, assuming that this wrist thing is not a thing that lingers. And he had, remember he had that, he did train with the Olympic team and played in the exhibition. So he was playing in, what was that? August, Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, June even. Yeah. So he was playing in the summer. He didn't really get much much of a break, I would think. So three months off, three months, like not on the court might be the best thing for him. Uh, Kevin, is it the most so wizards thing out of all this that Beal got hurt trying to take a charge in a game that was already out of hand? I mean, of course, why else would he, how else would he get hurt? Right. You know, driving to the basket. No, it has to be him doing something that's completely out of character. Uh, That's, that's the wizard's way. Right. It's an excuse to never take a charge again, I think. Yeah, that's right. Well, he was probably thinking in his mind, once I take this charge, I could do crime tape Beal and Chris Miller could hype it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, we don't want to get into the uh, whole block charge soapbox, but I pretty much despise that as a defensive technique. Um, You know, it never made sense to me back when I actually played, you know, coaches, you know, guys in pickup games trying to take charges. It's like, come on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah, the, those yeah. kind of guys. There, there's a special place in hell for them. I think. <laughs> I mean, play defense, and if if the offensive player runs you over, let the refs call that. But don't. Yeah. Right. You know, getting getting to a spot and standing still is not playing defense, and that's not basketball either. It's just no. I don't know what that is, but it's it's dangerous. So I blame Coach K. Okay. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> if you slap the floor first, anything looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh 
Oz, we, we talked <laughs> about this a little bit already, did a, a bit in the spaces last night, but they announced the Demonis Sabotis, the Sacramento trade. And like 45 minutes later, it uh, we get the news that Beal is out for the year. Now, granted, that was probably already in the works. We heard reporting that his agent, Mark Bartlestein, was here in town. But I can't help but wonder like, if there is any coincidence to the timing of said announcement. I, you know, obviously, uh, the conspiracy to me thinks there's something to it. But the, his agent was here. Now, was, was his agent here to find out what, what they were planning? regarding all the trade the above, with it, yeah, yeah well probably all of the above and um look the thing is even if they got Sabonis, there was no guarantee that because there's going to be some time for him if they were to get him there would have been a couple of days for him to get here and get integrated into their system so that could be more losses so maybe it could be something where they they tried to execute a trade but they kind of all came to the realization that this is not the year to move like let's not move up this year let's still get our lottery pick anyways so it's possible, but the, the timing was was curious. <laughs> and in addition to that, like um, the timing also, I, I can imagine, does not help them as they pivot to being sellers yeah. at the deadline. So I I guess what I'm wondering is who made the call to release that that news because the league knowing that Beal is out and now you're pivoting to sellers with their expirings can't help Tommy in negotiations versus if Beal at least just kept the news on the wraps for a couple of days before making that announcement, because they are still only one game out of the plan. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like it's, it's curious. I wonder who made that call and who decided the timing of that call. Uh, but like, like you said in your statement, like he, I think you read that, you read that out earlier that he couldn't play to his standards. So I'm not, I just don't know. Is this something you could play through and then get surgery later, but then are you cutting into your summer and training? There's a lot there to unpack. I thought the timing was just curious. Yeah, there may be some rules. I, I don't know. The league may have some rules. But the other thing is, as I'm, you know, PR media relations in my my day job, and you know, the with NBA team stories like this do not stay under wraps. Yeah. You know, so if they hadn't announced it, you know, somebody was going to break that story. Um, I mean, and, and so it realistically you have to go out there with that information as soon as you yeah. know it because otherwise it gets out there and then you don't have control over the story. You don't get to make a statement. Mark Bartlestein is the agent for lots of people other than Bradley Beal. And I'm sure he's going to use this to leverage, you know, other clients getting into better positions and things like that too. And, and that's kind of why I imagine that's where it comes from. Uh, but from a team perspective, you know, he was here the day before you probably had that conversation. Like, right. Uh, I don't know. It was just like, I'm scrolling through, I get notifications, I see Sabonis, I keep scrolling through. By the time I'm done scrolling, I see the Beal thing. I'm like, really? Like, really? <laughs> uh, but I guess, where does this leave them? Uh, how should this impact their plans at the deadline? We've kind of alluded to this, but I'd like to hear like from each of you what your ideal you know, trade deadline um, set of moves would be. It doesn't have to be ideal pieces, but just like, how would you like them to play this deadline? If, if, so if it's me, I would like them to trade everybody, anybody, uh, you know, really anybody that's on the roster should be open for up for trade. Mm -hmm. And they should be looking to remake the, the roster with higher, higher quality players. Right. I mean, it's, it's that simple. And so certainly guys like Harold, uh, KCP, even Kuzma, 
I know that people uh, have got very attached to him. He's been basically average this season overall. It's it's remarkable how similar his numbers are. You shut um, your mouth about my guy, Kevin. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, I've enjoyed him, and I, I like him. And he's a guy that if he stays, I'm perfectly happy. But realistically, he's he'd be ideal as a six-man, right? And KCP would be ideal as like a shooting guard, small forward, um, you know, backup playing, you know, 20 minutes a game, right? Gafford is ideal as a backup. Thomas Bryant would be better as a backup. Um, Dinwiddie is a backup. Uh, I mean, I've gone from pretty much like the whole roster, but um, Denny is a, Denny Abdia is, is a backup. Uh, Rui, I don't know what he is. He's certainly not a starting quality player at this point. He's, he's probably a backup. And so they've got all of these, these guys who can play a role, which means any one of them is expendable and they're all about the same level, right? More or less. They're all like that a little bit below average, maybe a little above average, um, you know, capable on certain nights of, of, you know, doing something great. Like Kuzma's had a nice run, but um, like I said, I would treat anybody who's on the roster um, for starting quality players um, for picks, you know, whatever to try to remake this team with uh with better players yeah i yeah i think everyone should be available i think where i would start my list is everyone who i think definitively is really not in their plans going forward so i think then that list starts with like montrez harrell aaron holiday um spencer dinwiddie uh i would add caldwell pope to that because that that 14 million dollar team option is not looking as attractive anymore Mm -hmm. yes he's a quality role player but he is just that a role player he shouldn't start and he is, he is not playing to what his skill set should be right now. And maybe that's out of necessity, or maybe that's out of he thinks he's more. But it's just not some. He is more value to a to a veteran contender than he has to us. So I would probably include him in that. I would include, include Neto, Thomas Bryant. I would start there. If I could consolidate Denny and Rui into a better young player under contract who could be part of the future. Sure, I would absolutely do it. I would not do it for a Jeremy Grant because I don't want to pay Jeremy. I wouldn't want to pay Jeremy Grant like 120 million. So no, not there. Um, otherwise, if all we could really do is sell, then I would just start there and get as many seconds. If you get a late first, great. If you get a cut, like maybe like a D'Anthony Melton type, or um, like you know those, like just maybe take some flyers on some players. Uh, get get some draft capital that you could use on draft night if you want to use it there to trade for a veteran start there but i would then go pivot to in terms of playing wise i would really basically take the sink or swim approach with our young players there's always back and forth of how good are they what are they you have 30 games find out throw them in the deep end 30 minutes a night yeah. yeah 30 minutes a night give them a role like there is an issue with def- like them deferring to veterans or the veterans just taking the lead. I don't know what it is. Matt, I think I told you this yesterday. So Rui is, was their ninth pick, their first ninth pick. In 105 games prior to this season, he has taken 15 field goal attempts in 23 of those games. In, 20, in those 23 games, he's averaging 21 and 7 on 51% shooting from the field. My question is, why what is inhibiting him or what has inhibited him from being that aggressive? Is it something in him that like, is it like he does not have that Kyle Kuzmania going downhill gene or 
Is it like, is there like, what's blocking it? Because if it is him, if it is like, I just won't take ownership, I'm not going to be aggressive every night, then that's an issue because you can't force a player to be aggressive. And if he's not aggressive looking for looking to be a scorer, then that really limits what else he's bringing to the floor. Then Avia, he's been billed as this secondary ball handler, but he cannot use his one hand. Like, so, and you saw it against Miami. Miami didn't even aggressively, they just like passively shaded him to go left. Yeah. And there was zero he could do. I posted like a play via my Twitter account and it was like, and it happened like two or three times. I could have posted it like those all three clips. Basically he got the rebound and was able to go. Now we've seen for years, like big wings or even like, you know, just you, you have a straight like beeline of the basket. You go and you finish right or left, you euro step. You could, there are multiple ways to finish that as long as you could finish with both hands and you just attack the basket because you're 6'10". Kuzma does it all the time right now. Then Avia got to the three-point line and someone just shaded into a left. He peeled back and just handed the ball to Dinwiddie because he can't dribble with his left hand. He did not take his second field goal attempt until there were like five seconds left in the game. And he played 25 minutes. And there's some people who say, oh, it's because no one's passing the ball. Well, it's because Miami's just designing their defense also so that he can't, they're not giving him his right and he's not really an off the ball shooter. So what can he do? So take these 30 games, find out what he could do, find out what Rui could do. If you have something and instead of projecting, oh, these could be our forwards next year, find out if they really can be in these 30 games. And if they can't be plan accordingly, if they can be cool, that's, you just, you got, you gain something else out of this. Um, so same thing I, with Kispert. Can I maybe play even, devil's yeah. advocate to that real quick? Just sure. I think sometimes you want to see these guys in like the actual context that they would probably play on your team. So if, if you're going to put them out there with nobody and you've totally gutted the roster and you tell them they're the guys like, Hey, Rui, the Olympics, Rui. I don't know that, that that really tells you anything for the role you'd eventually like to see them in because he can get 30 shots up while nobody's there. Does that translate to anything when, when real people do come back? Let me ask you this. I guess my counter, my devil's advocate to your devil's advocate is, well, that's where efficiency comes into play. Like if he's scoring, if he's doing an RJ Barrett where he's scoring 20, 20 points on 22 shots, what do you have? What do you have there? You just have high volume, but can he do something like what Kuzma's doing where Kuzma's taking like when the, in his enhanced role over these past few weeks has been like, he's been putting up 18, 19 on like 15 shots, just, can he do that type of role? And can that translate to a new, a new wizards team where he's not losing shots to, or where he's not deferring shots to like a Caldwell Pope. Sure. I don't think there's any scenario where Denny's actually your, like I've seen some suggestions that Denny should be the point guard. No, he should not because he's not going to be a point guard in the NBA ever. So he should not play point guard. Now he should be that secondary ball handler and they should force him to use, but see what he could do. Rui on the other hand, like, yeah, he's not going to be, a one a on a team. He's not like, we don't even know. We have no idea what he could do, but there's a role for him to kind of follow Kyle Kuzma's template. And that might actually be who he could project to be. And you might as well just find out if that's what he can be. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. And the only reason I'm trying to make a case here for why they should not trade my boy Kuzma. uh, I think you need somebody to attract attention of a defense because if it's just those two guys out there and now they're the primary people that people have to worry about, if, if Rui's, you know, option one on whatever this team looks like gutted after the deadline and teams game plan around him and he can't do anything, 
Yeah. Does that mean he can't do anything as the fifth starter or a sixth man or something longer term? So right, I, now I understand that. Uh, and I wasn't saying, uh, yeah, you need some professionalism on the court. You don't need just two young guys deciding it's our offense. Yeah. But what I'm suggesting is like have Kuzma, Rui, Denny play the 30, play the 96 minutes combined at four together. Yeah. And then also get a common point guard because you don't need them just trying to create everything for themselves because that's, that would never translate to actual basketball. Yeah. My sense of it is that the, the team has wanted both of those guys to be significantly more aggressive, um, getting their shots, being a bigger part of the offense. I mean, they, they would love for Avdia to really be a secondary playmaker, to be a guy that you can throw the ball, he could attack a closeout and dish for, you know, throw lobs, dish for dunks, you know, they're not doing it probably because they're just either they're not that skilled. They just don't really have the ability to do it. You know, um, we'll see. Certainly they're going to have opportunities, um, but it, it just seems like they, they, they each have some NBA strengths, but they also have the, these big weaknesses and neither one of them really has that sort of wacko competitiveness of that, that they're going to just beat whoever's in front of them um, because they're going to beat whoever's in front of them. Right. Right. And um, like I said, I mean, Westbrook was just all over Hachimura last season to be more aggressive, to be tougher, to, to play with more aggression. Beal from, from his rookie year has been like, you know, begging him to dunk the ball when he goes to the basket, that kind of stuff. And I'm talking about Hachimura. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with Avdia, they, they definitely have done what they can. I mean, they've run some, some pick and rolls for him with him as the ball handler, where they're getting him to his right hand. They've, um, they're asking him, they've actually played him at point guard some where he's bringing the ball up the floor, but you know, all he's really doing is dribbling the ball up the floor and handing it to a, a guard and then yeah, going, right, running getting off. out of the way. Yeah. Right. But I, I tend to think that if, if, he could do more, especially with the kind of playmaking that they need. If if Abia could do more, Hachimura could do more. They would be they would be running plays for them. They would be asking them to do more. And so I think a big reason why they're not is 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 that this is what they're capable of. I mean, it's it's striking how similar like their overall numbers are from year to year. You know, Brooks. It, it's it's like you've got two different coaching coaches now who've come in and pretty much made the same assessment of them, right? And so at some point you, you know, the coaches and how they play guys and how they use guys, that, that tells you a lot. Now coaches are sometimes wrong. That's for sure. But not, not usually, usually the coaches tend to get it right because of course their what their goal is, is to win, right. And to help these players become good. And Unseld certainly has a longer view than because he's got some job security for at least uh, this year and next probably. Yeah. Um, Probably longer than that with the name, but the point is he 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 has some time to try to win, and he, he seems like he's done some things to try to you know help young players develop. And if they're not um, doing more, I mean, you've got Avdia with what a you know 15 percent usage rate. That that's not because Unseld is is trying to you know hide his light right. <laughs> under the bushel, right? He's it's because he's, he's played a lot this year. And like, that's the, I mean, that's the thing. That's why I take the, the sink or swim approach, throw him to the deep end, 
you have these 30 games, it, there's no benefit to watching Caldwell Pope Harrell and Dinwiddie well, yeah, like these last 30 games. You have 30 games of live NBA action. I remember Shepard worked his magic to get the team invited to the bubble just to get eight games of action. So now you have 30 games, take advantage of it and get a yeah. true assessment. Now, like back to your other kind of deadline, if you can consolidate Rui and Denny for a true piece under contract, sure, do it now. Mm-hmm. But like, if you can't, then evaluate. And really no, to, to, to what you're saying, I mean, I, one, I would, if like, if I were going forward the rest of the way, assuming, say they can't make any trades, right? Or mm-hmm. they can only trade Harold, right? So it would seem like to make sense to me. I one, I would end the Aaron Holiday experiment in the starting in the starting lineup. Yeah, he's just done. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I would move KCP, let him be your starting shooting guard. Start Danny, and just see. And then otherwise, you know, I probably bring Gafford back into the starting lineup yeah. and let uh, Bryant come off the bench with a you know to try to play offense with the second you know with Hachimura, and you start Kuzma at the other spot and just roll and see. And then, like you said, Hachimura comes off the bench to play a bunch of minutes at the small forward. You've got um, Kispert coming off the bench to play that shooting guard spot. And then, you know, (laughs) I mean, you could sign a G league point guard or, you know, release Neto and and holiday or just, I don't know. Yeah. Have them play rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) Push them in practice. Maybe we'll be watching Taylor Horton Tucker. There you go. Uh, yeah, so that that's a perfect segue. Uh, we have heard some rumblings that Spencer Dinwiddie actually might appeal to some other teams who presumably haven't seen him play much this season. So the Lakers being one of them, I think they love Washington's largely inefficient, not particularly good defensive center or point guard. So uh, the rumbling from Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated is that the Wizards would make Dinwiddie available and a Taylor Horton Tucker quote draft pick package could be enough to entice them to offload the contract. Well, the wording there is hilarious because offloading the contract might be enough to entice them to offload the contract. If you give us anything that remotely resembles an asset, uh, yes, yes, please sign us up for that. So I got two reactions to that. One is maybe that's the the secret to the Lakers and the way they construct their rosters that they don't actually watch basketball. Yeah. They just like <laughs> poor names that they've heard before. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I'd be okay with with making a trade, uh, trading Dinwiddie. I'm not a big Taylor Horton Tucker fan. I think he's he's pretty not good. Um, I don't understand why the Lakers gave him the contract that they gave him. You know, this season he's replacement level. Last season he was way below average, at least in my analysis. And I think he's somebody who kind of looks better when you watch him play than he actually is. Mm. You know, so he'll fit right in. Yeah. Taylor Horton Tucker has been pretty terrible this season. Um, I mean, absolutely terrible. He like he makes he's making I, I think his reputation is a scorer, and he's making Denny and Rui look like look like Steph Curry type shooters with like his, his shooting splits. I mean, but at the same time, that's not really the point of the deal. The point of the deal, this is the arsonist fireman trade. This is we made a bad move. Now we're trying to clean it up. And if they could cut Dinwiddie's salary in half, which is, I think Horton Tucker makes about half of what Dinwiddie makes. And I actually get like, look, I wouldn't even need a second round pick to do it. If I could just get an expiring with Taylor Horton Tucker and reduce the ongoing, the, the future salary obligation to Dinwiddie, do it. 
you know, what you're not like, I, I think I was, I was speaking to, um, Jay Heiser who, who does our deal of the day for bolts forever. And he was saying, no, they should use this, these 30 games to rehab Dinwiddie's value and then to try to trade him in the off season. And I understand that sentiment, but that to me, there is no rehabbing people like GMs. Okay. Yes. There might be a badge. No one's going to come and offer you like a, a substantial Trump package. Pick, for yeah. Right. So are you really going to waste 30 games of real NBA action to just feature a player that is not part of your future in hopes of just getting seconds or a marginal player? No, just get rid of it and move on. Like the one, I'm not going to say, like, I hate to even say anything positive about Ernie like in that way, but like, look, it is somewhat like, at least he recognizes mistakes and now Shepard would be recognizing a mistake. There's no point in doubling down on the mistake. Just recognize it, rip the bandaid off, fix it, move on. It's still a bad move all over, like just from start to finish, but the, the like it's only going to get worse. Yeah, Kendrick Nunn is the guy there. I'd be trying to get in this somehow. Like again, there there was enough of a good sample size in Miami that I would be willing to find out if in a new situation he could look something like that. He, he's a lot older than people think because he had some college related baggage there. Uh, let's leave it at that, I guess. But, you know, like I've seen some sample size of him being good enough on a playoff team, that, you know, to get a team into the playoffs uh, that, that I wouldn't mind trying that. Like that makes more sense to me than Talon Horton Tucker, who I feel pretty confident is just like not good because I've never right. seen him be good other than like a five game sample. So <laughs> that, that would be maybe my only try to like, uh, angle with, with the Lakers is if you can pull that off at all. We also passed on Taylor Horton Tucker to draft Admiral Schofield. <laughs> and Tommy loves just going <laughs> back to the guys he's already had interest in. So if he didn't like THD the first time, why would he like him this time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only other ones Josh Robbins said today, I guess that both Detroit and Dallas could also be interested in Dinwiddie as well. I don't really understand the Detroit one other than, that's kind of where he started his NBA career. And maybe they think he can teach Cade Cunningham something about being a tall kind of combo guard, but, but I don't really understand that move from their perspective, but Hey, I'd take it. Um, I could see him in Detroit and I could see the value because he's a veteran, he's a mature guy and um, maybe his, his leadership would be welcomed there. Yeah, right. <laughs> My guess is that Detroit, you know, if they were to, take Dinwiddie on, they would want him as sort of a third guard type or maybe like a starter next to Cunningham. Yep. So that Cunningham doesn't have to do everything yep. offensively. And uh, so I, I could see that sort of a mentor for a couple of years and then he you know transitions out. Dallas would be interesting. Again, I'd probably see him as a backup there. Um, that would be, I mean, that's potentially interesting. Uh, and, and like they might have a hard time re-signing Brunson in the offseason, so it gives them, yeah, it gives them a succession plan over there. But it's the same thing where it's like it's interesting because my initial thought is, I mean, the Wizards traded for Dinwiddie to bring him in as the starting point guard, right? And we're talking about Detroit's one of the worst teams in the league, and how would they use him as a backup? Backup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, I, I think you're you're definitely right about that kevin too and they do seem to like like the jumbo lineup you know a lot of length like all around the perimeter and maybe that's how you sell that and it's just 
they're a really bad shooting team also. I was just surprised that that's the direction they would want to go to like unlock Cade is to bring in more guys who can't shoot. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Dallas makes more sense to me. Like I could see that. But yeah. I would actually see like Bertans as someone that Detroit might want because they need a shooter. Um, and it would be a perfect situation for Bertans to rehabilitate his value because he will get shots in on a bad team like he did over here in what was that 2019, 2020 and possibly become more attractive as his contract gets closer to expiring. But, you know, they want Dinwiddie have at it. <laughs> right. I think that is a perfect way to wrap this up guys. Thanks for, for doing this on short notice here. I very much hope that by the time we put this out and people actually are starting to listen to it, they haven't made a bunch of wild trades that we haven't remotely talked about here. <laughs> And that's sort of always yeah, the. I hope uh, they have. I hope they have. Oh, well, gotta, well, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Nice. You know, selfishly, I want them to gut everybody. But from a content creation and people listening to it standpoint, I hope we at least hold off to like maybe Thursday afternoon for all those moves. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, guys, stay tuned after the break. Here, we're going to do a couple quick commercials, and then we'll have sports medicine physician on to talk about the specifics of Bradley Beal's injury and what that actually means and how worried we should be. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Let's pause for a quick break from two of our sponsors. First, Masterworks. What I'm about to say might shock you, but the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing too. He invests in stocks, crypto, and even art. Now you can invest like the goat with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares representing an investment in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. Art prices actually outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1992 to 2021. In fact, early investors already received over 30% IRR in 2020 and 2021 from the sale of just two paintings. This is your opportunity to join 300,000 other members and invest like the GOAT. Plus, you can get priority access with our game day promo. Go to masterworks.art slash belief. That's masterworks.art slash belief, B-L-E-A-V. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And now NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all the threats you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at just under $4. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And now let's get back to the show. All right. Uh, I'd like to welcome in Dr. Matthew Basson. Matt, thanks for joining me here. Uh, we wanted some real expertise on uh, what we're dealing with the Bradley Beal injury. The team put out a press release about what it is, but it's sort of medical jargon. And I think a lot of people's eyes glazed over about what that really means from him. So uh, you're a physician specializing in sports medicine. We, we thought this would be a great opportunity and a Wizards fan, which is even better. So uh, thanks for joining me here and, and thanks for educating everybody else over the next couple of minutes. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm glad to be on the show. 
So Bradley Beal uh, has an injury to a ligament in his wrist. Uh, it's the scaphalunate ligament. Is that close? Did I get anywhere near it? That's oh. right, actually. It's the scaphalunate ligament. So before we delve in more to the injury, I think it would be helpful for our viewers or listeners to understand what the scaphalunate ligament is. Yeah, for sure. So in order to know that, you have to understand a little bit about the structure of the wrist. I'll speak in sim- simplified terms, but the wrist is made of several small bones. The forearm bones connect to the wrist and the wrist connects to the hand. And the hand has its own bones, but the wrist has several small bones. And two of those bones are called the scaphoid and the lunate. Mm-hmm. That's just two of several. Bones are connected to each other by ropey structures called ligaments. Uh, oftentimes my patients mix up the terms tendon and ligament. A tendon connects a muscle to a bone. A ligament connects a bone to a bone. So the ligament that connects the scaphoid bone in the wrist to the lunate bone in the wrist is called the scapholunate ligament. And in terms of what that does functionally for your body, um, if, yeah. if that's torn or uh, injured in some way, what, what, how does that limit you, I guess? Sure. So a ligament's function in general is to hold the bones together, but also because of its rope-like structure, it has some flexibility. So it also helps the bones move. So if, let's say, a basketball player is shooting the ball, it will help the, rest, the wrist flex and extend forward while also keeping it stable and pain-free. A sprain, which is what Bradley Beal has, is essentially a tear of that ligament. It could be anything from microscopic to fully torn into two pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if the wizards released the detail of exactly the extent of the tear, but in his case, if, if the ligament is torn in two pieces, then the wrist becomes unstable because those two bones are no longer being held together. Basketball is such an important sport for the wrist from grabbing rebounds, reaching in for steals, dribbling the ball and shooting and passing. So it's really important that the bones in the wrist are held together well, and any injury to the scapholunate will cause both instability as well as pain, but so many different activities that are involved in essential to basketball. If, if this is sort of, um, you know, a minor tear or something like that, is that something theoretically, like if it's your offense, something you could play through if you were willing to, with, with pain management, or is that always sort of when you get to that point, um, like a surgery is needed? So somewhere in the middle of those, I see a lot of patients with this injury. And if you're not a high level athlete, it's going to require some sort of immobilization, mm-hmm. which is in the form of a wrist brace, usually a Velcro wrist brace that's worn basically throughout the day. It may be taking it off for a shower for at least a few weeks. It's going to be difficult to play basketball wearing that brace. He would have to wear the brace with basketball. If this was an essential playoff game, maybe a one game thing, mm-hmm. and he could tolerate the pain, could try to get through one game. But ultimately, the more he does that, the more that that would prolong healing and make healing more difficult. So essentially, this can be treated non-surgically, but it needs that immobilization and it's hard to play with that. Okay, that's fair. Uh I, I did do a little bit of amateur sleuthing on this one, just, just to kind of come into this a little bit with an understanding of what we'd be talking about here. And what I read is that it does require typically like a more specialized hand surgeon 
to do the, you know, the procedure we're talking about here. Is that sort of your understanding of that too? For sure. Yeah. Uh, the hand is so intricate. It has a lot of small bones, like we talked about also small muscles, ligaments, and tendons. So usually, and I think uh, Bradley Beal did see someone like, like this at hospital for special surgery. It's not just an orthopedic surgeon. It's a subspecialty of orthopedic surgeon, which is called a hand surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so most orthopedic practices will have one. Hospital for special surgery is one of the most renowned places in the United States for this type of thing. And so it makes sense that he would see the hand specialist at that location. I'm glad they're not cheaping out on this then. It's good to go to, to see the best yeah. if, if we want a full recovery there. Any, like, it sounds like a reasonably complicated surgery then. Is this something that, that has a pretty good you know track record of success? Is it something you know, uh, we should be worried about here that would require follow-up surgeries, like could be a lingering thing, any concerns like that? Sure. Yeah. So a couple of things in relation to that question, surgery, anytime you cut a patient open has a risk for complications. That's for sure. So you never take a surgery lightly. The issue that I believe, which is why he likely needed the surgery, you want to try conservative treatment first and see if it works. But the issue with that is that if they wait six weeks since the injury, it has an increased failure rate, the rate mm. the surgery would. It's most successful being done within three weeks, which is why I think that they're speeding up the process. Now, in Beale's case, uh, they did try conservative treatment for a little while. And you know, like I talked about, the wrist immobilization. Mm. Um, in that case, if it works, you don't have to do it. But with an elite level athlete, they need a pretty good idea early on as to whether or not the conservative treatment is working. So I think they gave Beal about 10 days. In that time, I would want to see that there's some improvement in the pain, that he's moving in the right direction. If that's not the case, for an elite level athlete, the surgery has the best chance of success within three weeks. So that's why I think they made this decision when they did. Basically, they said, we're not making much movement within 10 days. We need to go on to the next rate. In terms of the uh, complications, most athletes return to play within four to five months. It says about 80% based on the literature and two thirds return to their prior play level. So interesting. that's a tough one. Uh, kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. It doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to return to his prior play level. if He didn't do the surgery. So because the surgery is most successful early on, it gives him his best chance. It's also really preferably good news that it was his left wrist and he's mm. a right-handed shooter. Sure. So I would be more concerned if they were doing the surgery on his right wrist. Of course, the left hand is very important in basketball, but not as vital for Bradley as his right. So there's a good chance he's going to return to near his level of play, but no guarantees. If he were limited, is that lack of range of motion, instability, just maybe some some arthritis that comes with that? Like what, what would be the you know, the limit limiting factor there, I guess. Sure. So, um, strength and range of motion, it's possible he could have some chronic discomfort in that area. Arthritis can develop in the future. It likely won't develop overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, as an aside, uh, the biggest risk of not treating this properly is arthritis also, but, uh, in terms of limitations, yeah, he could potentially lose a little strength, a little motion. So without knowing, you know, the, the intricate, you know, inner workings of what they'll do to decide contract wise. But if you were a doctor advising someone on this situation, is this something you would be concerned about? Uh, if you're, you, the team should be concerned about, I guess, you know, before offering him 
a $250 million follow-on contract. Yeah, as, as both a fan and a sports medicine physician, the amount of money committed to him with an injury history, it, it would concern me. I would want to go down, and I know that's going to be difficult um, if some other team's willing to pay it, but I, I would be a little hesitant to commit a Supermax deal to him. I may be more comfortable a little lower, um, especially with the injury history. And then you have to think about if potentially the wrist is a little weaker, it could maybe make other things crop up in the future. So it's something to keep in the back of your head as basketball players start to get overuse injuries coupled with their uh, acute injury history. This is, uh, yeah, that's a great question too. It looked like it was an acute injury, but if you're pushing 30 years old and you've had this type of injury before, what's the risk of sort of re-injury to something like that as you get a little older? Is it is it because it was kind of fluky that's not something they need to worry about or is it could could that become a chronic concern i guess well it depends on the success of the surgery this particular injury was acute he likely fell on when he, when he took a charge he fell mm-hmm. onto his outstretched hand and uh, caused the wrist to go into extension if the surgery is successful it's essentially uh, repairing the ligament tear then that particular area shouldn't um get re-injured. But like I said, the surgery is not guaranteed to be a success. And then also there could be compensation issues as well. He's not going to use this arm for four to six months uh, properly. So that could cause other muscles to weaken in the shoulder and the elbow. And uh, coupled with the wear and tear, it could make him an increased risk for breakdown in the future or chronic issues. I haven't seen the actual surgery date scheduled or anything like that, but let's assume they do it within that three-week range, gives them another week and a half year to kind of figure that out, schedule things, uh, maybe a conservative six months, uh, you know, rehab recovery, those kinds of things. Do we see Bradley Beal likely in, in your opinion, you know, at the start of next season? Yes. And that's another thing. This is a good time to do the surgery. There's no way he's coming back by the end of this season, mm-hmm. uh, if he's going to have the surgery. So approximately four to six month rehabilitation period allows him to not rush this. And the the less it's rushed, the more he can get the range of motion back, the strength back and have a a lower chance of re-injury or complication. So I think that we're looking at maybe October. Again, the season starts a little earlier now, but he he should be back easing his way into training camp and hopefully it's for the start of next season. And, and that's just for like full rehab and recovery somewhere in the long, you know, in the middle there, he could potentially still have a brace maybe for support and begin shooting or begin workouts and, and stuff like that. I would imagine. Correct. Again, fortunately, this is the left wrist. So he, he could wear a cast or a brace and continue to be in shape in terms of his lower extremities, cardiovascular or shooting uh, one handed, but he wouldn't be able to go through any sort of contact or anything like that. Anything else about the, you know, this type of injury you think would be interesting for, for fans to know that we haven't touched on here so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the wrist in the hand is such a complex area that it's such fine motor skills that it is really important this timeline. That's why, you know, I, I read yesterday, wow, he's already having surgery. But then once I saw what the injury was, you know, they need to get moving for best results. So I think he's in good hands at HSS. Again, the, the age and the, the finances are going to put a caution sure. no matter what, but uh, they're doing, I think they're on the right track here. 
It was funny. I, I mentioned this on the first half of the episode too. The press release really reads as Brad is out for the remainder of the regular season. I think we can squash, you know, any uh, chances of that. Hey, we make a play in game. There's no rushing him back by May or June or anything like that in your opinion, right? No, no. To, to recover properly, um, he's not going to be ready to play at that time. We're looking at uh, early fall. Uh, this has been super informative for me. Uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time here to do this. Uh, if someone needs some spe- uh, sports medicine consultation and they want to uh, look you up, how do they go about doing that? I practice in Northern New Jersey. They can uh, Google my name and get all of the information of my uh, practice location and such from Baltimore, but I continue to follow the Wizards from a distance now. Awesome. Uh, Matt, again, thank you so much for the time here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the expertise. And uh, hopefully for all of us, it works out for the best. And and that, uh, I don't know, that contract, if, if we sign it, it plays out pretty well. Yes, hopefully so. Thank you so much again for having me. It was a pleasure. How cool was that? You don't get that on uh, too many other Wizards-focused podcasts here. So I appreciate the real expertise. That's probably the uh, most knowledgeable person we've had on the show, uh, including all of our sort of basketball guests, too. So uh, it, it was really good to hear that this shouldn't be something that, like, keeps Brad out for a full seat, you know, full calendar year or, you know, isn't super likely to limit him longer term, although there is risk of that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of operating under whatever can go wrong will go wrong for the Wizards. But it seems like, you know most likely here that that he recovers from this and because it is the non-shooting hand uh you know this is not like a crushing long-term thing maybe it gets us a discount come contract time i would doubt it but i guess we will see um so uh, thanks to all three of our guests today oz kevin matt uh really good stuff here hopefully the trade deadline plays out well and we'll have some uh other interesting things to talk about here in, in wizards world so As always, is Believe in Wizards, rate, review, subscribe. We always appreciate those things. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you all after the trade deadline. And we were presented by betonline.ag. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.